Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. Today, Full Measure is back on the road, shooting and researching new stories for our upcoming Season 9. Find out where we are and what we're working on. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here from On the Road. We're on a full measure road trip, driving in the rain somewhere in the Midwest. This is considered the Midwest, right? Middle America. And I'm with Lee Jenkins, Photographer extraordinaire, say hello, Lee. Hello. He's driving us in the rain. And in the back seat, investigative producer Daniel Steinberger. Hey. And it's been a while since we've done one of these on the road, but we are back on the road for summer. That means we're in reruns on full measure while we're out researching and shooting new stories for our fall. We're coming back in September for season nine which is hard to believe going into year nine. Feels like I just left CBS News yesterday, but that was in 2014, and we started our first season of Full Measure in 2015 in the fall. We have a lot of great stories that we're working on and researching, including um, we're very interested in a lot of these post-COVID stories as more data and information comes in in the wake of the pandemic more information that maybe some were trying not to get out or they were trying to be suppressed that's actually coming out. People are asking a lot of new questions. One of the things we're looking at has to do with some of the after effects of both COVID and the COVID vaccines. In some instances, the adverse events from the vaccines, I'm told, are similar to what can happen after people get COVID. Maybe they call it long COVID. And doctors are learning a lot about some doctors are learning a lot about how to treat these cases. And from what I'm gathering, although we still have a lot more research to do, the treatment for illnesses after COVID vaccine or even after COVID, in some instances is the opposite of what's intuitive for doctors or the opposite of what they may have been taught to do to people who come in with those symptoms. And that's really important because if you go into the ER and they don't ask the right questions and they don't understand what the treatment protocol should be in this new era, they may be doing the wrong thing. According to these medical experts, they may be making the case worse. We'll be reporting on that. We'll be doing um, an interview with a really important figure. This was a mom of someone who entered her children into the first Pfizer study for children for the COVID vaccine. What a story she has to tell. And I think one of the hardest things for her and for people like her is the subject has been so controversialized that when people do think they have or do have a COVID vaccine injury, 
it's been difficult for them to be able to talk about it without being attacked by the um, the mob or the propagandists or the people who have misunderstanding of what the information is. It's been a really tough media environment for people like that. It makes it harder for them to get help. But that's going to be a really interesting story. We have several of them underway that we're researching that will be on in the fall. Another big topic that we're tackling, and we've reported on this before, but there's so much more to say, has to do with the school choice movement. And that can mean a lot of things, a lot of different proposals and provisions, and quite a few states are working to advance these post-COVID because parents were so unhappy with what happened during the COVID situation. I think it really put a lot of support behind these alternative movements. One of them has to do with, Daniel found this story when he was researching other things, the four-day school week or the idea of the four-day school week. You want to talk a little bit about that, Daniel? Yeah. So we went to a school district um, and Missouri, um, and we talked to them about what they're going to be implementing in in the fall, uh, which is a four-day school week. you know, and we talk to people on both sides of the issue, as we like to do on full measure. Um, and you know, there's certainly legitimate arguments on both sides. I, I think we talked to some teachers who think this is great, and this will help with retention. They're getting more applications now for teaching within the school district. Um, but then also, parents are left wondering, what do I do with my child? Um, on that fifth day of during this regular week, um, and they and they will be offering some programs, some after school, you know, some day activities or college courses for high school students, or a variety of activities. But you know that may not work for every family. Certainly, it may be a hardship for um, families that are struggling financially. So you know, there's a lot that the district is considering, and um, and we'll get into that as part of our story that will be airing in the fall. I mean, there are literally, I guess, dozens of proposals, if not more, that are working their way through states to try to address the parents' desires to improve things for their children, to have more control over the child's education. Lee is a brand shiny new parent, so that's not really going to come into play for a little while for you, but do do you have any initial thoughts about school choice and considerations? Yeah, I think sharing the concerns that Daniel had expressed uh, a moment ago, you know, a four-day work week is fantastic. I think for most people would love it, but obviously for teachers, when there's children involved, what do you do with the child on the fifth day? And I already think about that with my child. I think about that with COVID and how many parents were struggling to meet their child's needs when they weren't allowed to go into the classroom. Now you're talking about a day where the parent has to figure out what else to do with the child, and it's very likely the parent will be working. So, you know, what do you do? And that's a, that's a scary thought. And I, too, when I listen to all of this, hear good arguments on both sides. But one of the arguments that rang true to me when we did this story in Full Measure previously was a school choice advocate who said, hey, this actually lifts all boats because when there is an exodus away from the public schools to other schools, the public schools have to get better to retain the students. They have to make changes maybe that they've been reticent to make in order to continue to be viable. And I think there's some merit to that. But on the other hand, someone we talked to today reminded us that there aren't just supposed bad schools where kids will be leaving. 
they'll all, if given the choice, be trying to get into the good schools, the ones that are considered successful. And the so-called good schools simply cannot, in every case, absorb all the kids that would want to go to school there, the public schools, for example. So let's take um, a school system like one we visited that has worked very hard to get community funding so that they don't have any, what do they call, trailers, mobile learning, you know, modular things like we grew up with in the 60s. They apparently had those consistently, but they, not too long ago, got rid of them and got the funding where none of the kids are being treated in those portables. But they said there's no doubt if parents were given the option to move their kids wherever they wanted to go, which was one proposal at one time, that that school would be inundated and they simply wouldn't have the space. They'd have to open portables again. And the cost of the kids that don't live in the district going there would be borne by the taxpayers in the district. So a lot to consider for sure. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Another topic that I think is of great interest to a lot of people has to do with, I guess I would call it the trans lobby. And I first started thinking about this story last summer when we were in the United Kingdom and we were talking off camera with a very liberal member of parliament. We were there to do interviews on something totally different, but he brought up the whole attention being given to the trans movement. And he said something like, in 2016, nobody was talking about this. And he said, but now, and he said even a couple years ago, nobody was, but now if they don't address it as a political figure running for office, then you're left behind. It's, it's like all the rage and everybody has to talk about it. And he's the one who I first heard called it the transgender lobby, which he thought was responsible for putting this issue on the fore in the media. So in looking into it, there is a transgender lobby. And I do think it raises the question of who's pulling the strings to give attention to a movement, I would call it, in an outsized way when it comes to culture and media and society. There certainly is, there are issues to be discussed and there's something going on, but it's sometimes almost everywhere you look, the, the attention it's gotten. So I'll be looking into and reporting on the funding sources, and we are finding out about more and more about this, that are behind the movement to make sure this is on the front page and on the fore of every, every place we look practically when it comes to media. 
then um, maybe a related movement because we're talking about control of information or sometimes manipulation of information has to do with continuing interest in what social media has done, whether it's censoring certain views or what we learned with the Twitter files, working with intel agencies or the White House to monitor and censor or suppress certain views or people. So interesting. We're going to continue to cover that in a big way. And we're shooting one story, part of one story that relates to that while we're on this trip in Missouri. Daniel? Yeah, some of the states have got some of the states have gotten um, a large trove of documents, um, and as they pursue uh, this case, and so we'll have uh, we'll try to give people a sense of what, what's been uncovered about it, um, and talk to some of the players involved um, with these suits. Um, and, and I was just thinking uh, on documents, not to go too much off on a tangent, but we, we both ironically um, got uh, responses um, f- from a Freedom of Information Act, separate Freedom of Information Acts, um, that I think were at least four or five years old, um, at least the one that I had asked for. Um, and so, you know, the fact that states are trying to get documents themselves, maybe they can get it a little quicker. Um, but as journalists and, and quite frankly, anybody in the public has a right to public documents. But unfortunately, it takes a very, very long time to get access to those. So we've been uh, working hard to try to get, you know, uncover new facts on a variety of stories. Well, back to Freedom of Information Act. Some of you may know that's just a pet peeve of mine and of many journalists because Freedom of Information Law was meant to force federal agencies and public agencies to give us the information we're entitled to. They were withholding it in so many cases. So this was a way to actually go to them and force them to quickly release information we're allowed to have. But instead of doing that, the federal agencies have learned how to use Freedom of Information Act law to obfuscate and delay the release of obviously public information. Instead of releasing that which they know you have a right to see, they put everybody in the long queue make you file a FOIA request, and then they say, oh, the line is so long, we can't possibly provide the information of the 30-day statutory time frame. So they violate the law, I would say, almost every time. And not only do you not get your documents in 30 days, it's often never, and then sometimes it's years. And as Daniel mentioned, on totally unrelated stories, between he and I, we got responses to three old FOIA requests the other day, Um, Mine, one of them was the Epstein documents from the Bureau of Prisons, most of which, if not all, they had already released to the New York Times, which sued them, but they didn't release to me, even though they were required to. Um, If you sue them, which is very expensive and can be time-consuming, you can get the documents, but if anybody gets them, they're supposed to provide them to everybody, but they didn't. So I've got over 3,000 pages of documents to look at on the Epstein death in prison that happens a couple years ago. And then, this is interesting, I'll probably post this soon. I had filed a Freedom of Information Act request with the military for the after-action report on the Afghanistan withdrawal. After any military action, they file something called an after-action report, which basically includes a lessons learned. And certainly, we have a right to know what our military learned or what they were saying after the fact. 
after the botched withdrawal from Afghanistan, but they wouldn't provide the information. They provided some excuse at the time and just never gave any papers. And then the other day, from one division of the military, I guess you could call it, the Joint Chiefs, I finally got all of two pages. And of the two pages of this email, the first page is entirely redacted. So they don't even give the date. I don't even know what date this email was sent. I don't know who it was sent to. I don't know who it was from. And arguably all those things are, it's improper for that to be redacted. And then there's a second page that tells nothing. So two pages when there are thousands and thousands of pages undoubtedly that refer to or talk about the after action report. And I've got two after a couple of years. To Lee, I just wondered when you get your information, I don't know if you look at social media, when you watch the news, how do you kind of sort through? I'm always asked how people cull through and try to decide what it is that I believe or what sources should I use. Do you kind of just watch for information, but with a grain of salt? How, what is your attitude? Um, honestly, what I'll do if I see something on my media stream that it seems interesting and I want to know more about it, I'll actually stop there and then I'll do a Google search or something and I'll see who else is talking about it. And then I'll generally go to reputable sources first and I'll kind of just streamline and see if everybody's kind of saying the same thing. And then I'll make my decision based off of that. Do you sometimes find that, let's say everybody's saying one thing, but in the end you conclude something else? Or do you typically go, you've, you've figured out kind of who's been right and who to trust and that's where you go? Well, there, there's um, obviously working in the media as long as I have, you kind of, sometimes you see things, you know, it's just for ratings, right? It's just for clicks. So I do take that into account when I look at things and I say, okay, is this really this extreme as to what they're saying or is it probably in the semblance of truth? So that's how I kind of judge it and I say, okay, it's probably not that extreme, could be, probably not. It's more likely it's somewhere in the middle. I think most people do some version of that. You know, they try to figure out, and I don't think you used to have to do that. It doesn't mean we were always getting the straight story. It's right. just now that's kind of how you have to look at everything you see and read. Daniel, when you're researching for stories, because we do a lot of background research before we go out and shoot and we get different information when we're in the field many times, but in doing the background research, how do you research and have confidence? Do you even have to have confidence that what you're looking at is 100% accurate or where do you where do you turn to? Um, I, tr I try to read a lot of, of local papers. I think that is always helpful. I think typically local news and local news reporters are more plugged in um, than, you know, some of the bigger newspapers. So if on specific issues that are sp especially regional things, um, I try to look at some of the local papers. Um, I don't know. I just poke around. I mean, I think, um, you know, you you know, you've kind of coined the phrase, or maybe it wasn't you, I don't know, but, you know, do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself or some, some version of that. Um, so, you know, I, I think just ch checking different sources, um, checking, making calls, um, often the story that you make a call on, um, turns actually into something else. Um, and that's you know one of the stories that we got here in Missouri. We initially called on one story, and we ended up with the second story. Um, so, you know, I, there's no there's no one way to do any of it. Um, 
but I think it's important to cultivate as many um, news sources and news websites and, and newspapers and TV stations as possible. From my view, sometimes you learn a lot by reading sources that may not be 100% accurate. And that was one of my big gripes early on when the social media companies used to come in and say, we will only direct you to true information. Well, first of all, they don't know what's true on a lot of this stuff. But secondly, sometimes I want to see the false information or I want to see what a rumor is about something because it leads me to understand some background or it may lead me to somebody to interview or it may help me understand context for who's pushing a certain narrative in a story. So to me, it's my business if I want to read a story that may not be accurate or I want to see who's saying things like that. Um, and I too tend to look at a lot of different sources and then I like to go in the field and see what's true. There's usually something new you can find when you're on the ground researching something yourself. And I, I frankly think those are the best kind of stories. You may have an idea of what you think the story is and then you start interviewing people or finding out facts and you say, wow, this is something that wasn't reported or maybe this, in my view, wasn't reported quite accurately. Those are the best stories because we're trying to inform people and bring them you know, different viewpoints and make sure they have fulsome facts to consider. So there's nothing better than starting with one direction on a story and then finding there's a legitimate second way to go or another viewpoint that you didn't feel about. And I think that's... That's great. And along those same lines, as I was saying before, um, I often ask people when I talk to them on the phone, trying to set up stories or research stories, what else is going on? You know, and maybe they have an idea you haven't thought of or that's not even been written about or broadcasted before. Um, you know, people living in all communities across the world and across our country, um, there's great little stories or maybe sometimes they're bigger stories that are, that have not been told. Um, and you know, those, those are the ones that I personally would like to hear about as a journalist. I think one of the, one of the really great things about doing the job is when you talk to each side, the majority of the time you find that they're each trying to do something to better their cause. And it's not one is necessarily wrong. One's right. Each believes in what they're doing. I think that's the real joy of doing it as you find out okay wow they each have valid points and hopefully they can find a way to negotiate and work together. I think that's one of the most important things and something I've tried really hard to work on with media because you don't understand necessarily as a young reporter that you're just trying to cover a story and figure out what's going on and before you know it you're kind of probably unintentionally trying to prove your point you may not even be right about the points you've picked and so I've, I've worked very hard as I've reflected upon all this over the years. Am I trying to prove a point or can I give information, even information I may not agree with, so that people can make up their own decisions? And I agree with Lee. More often than not, if you open up your mind, you find that there are people on both sides of many issues that all want the same thing, meaning they want what's best for their family. They want what's best for their country. They just differ on how to define that and the best ways to go about it. And a, a subconscious way we introduce bias into our stories as journalists, and I'm guilty of this in the past, I try not to do it now, but we would pick an issue, let's say gun control, for example, and let's say I want guns to be controlled. This is not true, I'm just using this as an example. 
So I find a reasonable gun control person to interview on one side, and then I find the kookiest radical nut to interview to represent the other side. And then I say, well, we got both sides of the issue, but what I did was I introduced bias by interviewing sort of a crazy radical person and pitting him against the reasonable person. So I like to try to find, and Daniel's great at this as a producer, good, you know, spokesman for both sides. So you're kind of listening to the best arguments each side has, and then you can decide for yourself because I'm not your mommy or your nanny to tell you what to think. You know, I think it's a beautiful thing when you can do a story and know that people can come away with different ideas or views. I don't care what conclusion you draw in the end. I care that information gets out there, especially information that other people are trying to control or censor. That's, that's the most fun to me. And lastly, while we're driving, what direction are we going? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> sure. don't have my map we're in Missouri. Yeah, we're okay, Missouri. while, while you're looking, okay, east. east. This is, let me tell you a little funny sub story. We interviewed a very, very intelligent man a couple of days ago, a young guy, and he came to us. He drove a couple of hours to a city where we were in Ohio, and I asked him, I knew he'd driven a couple hours. I said, Well, where do you live? Did you, which direction did you drive to get here? And he literally did not know because we all watch our GPS today. I still try to know, I try to look at the map, but the reality is, I guess, younger people today, they don't have to know, and they don't bother to know, and they don't see a value in knowing, but I had to laugh that he didn't know if he'd come from the north, south, east, or west. But as we're driving east, we have been looking prior to this all day at images online of this horrible smoke rolling in from Canada into the northeast, and now far beyond, and then we started looking off into the distance and seeing smoke. And we looked up the map, the New York Times map. And I think we are in that smoke range now. And it's pretty, I just think it's amazing we didn't have a heads up about this or that this smoke could be covering so much of our country. And maybe there was a heads up and it's because we haven't been sitting in front of the TV. We've been out shooting, but it's pretty remarkable. What is What does it look like to you, Lee? Well, right now, I mean, earlier it looked very dark and very ominous. It's a little lighter right now, but still very much a haze and, and definitely, definitely uh, wondering about the smoke. And Daniel was the one showing me pictures all morning of these time lapses and what you have a family member that's out there in Brooklyn. Yeah, I mean, just some of the pictures from New York City and other cities in the Northeast seem to be uh, very apocalypse-like. Uh, um, if anybody's shooting a Hollywood movie, there's some interesting backdrops, sadly. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's remarkable pictures. It's always something new. Well, I guess we'll say goodbye from on the road for this week's podcast. Bye. Bye. Thank Bye. you, Lee. Thank you, Daniel. Thank okay. you guys for listening. See you next time. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that if so, you will leave us a review, subscribe, and share it with your friends. Check out my other podcast, the Cheryl Atkinson Podcast. And remember, our new season of Full Measure will start in the fall, season nine, with some of our best programs airing on Sundays throughout the summer while we're on the road researching and shooting news stories. For a station list of Full Measure stations, go to CherylAtkinson.com and click the Full Measure tab. You'll see a list of stations and times. 
And now you can support independent journalism by visiting CherylAxon.com and clicking on the store tab. There are some terrific thought-provoking and fun products designed exclusively for independent and free thinkers like you with proceeds benefiting independent reporting causes like the ION Awards. Our most popular slogan on products at the store right now is, I need to find some new conspiracy theories. All my old ones came true. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. 